Touch them all, Joe! Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, we're joined by brothers and business partners, Gian and Paige Megan, who are also known as the Megan Boys. Welcome to the Backstage Project Podcast. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Excited to be uh, here with you and, uh, and chatting. Well, thank you. Listen, it's been a very interesting summer for all of us. And you know, as we get started, you know, I wanted to just get some of the, the, the pieces out of the way of you and your brother and the dynamic between the two of you to start with a really simple question. You know, who's older? <laughs> well, that's a, uh, that's a very big question. Um, my brother Paige is one minute older than I, and, uh, I have, uh, heard about it my entire life. Okay. Well, here's another one that maybe the debate has changed over the course of your life. So who's better looking? Um, I honestly, like, you know, I look at my brother, and I say to myself, like, if I look like that, you know, there's a big problem, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I say that with the most sincerity. I, I, it's like, like, tell me I look like that and I have big problems. Okay, we'll let you off the hook on that one a little bit. But seriously, I mean, you guys have had an amazing story, which is why I was so excited to bring you on the podcast. I remember thinking back. You know, when I first heard about you guys, it, it was your DJ business. And then I know we met through some mutual contacts, you know, in the community. But you're so much more than entertainers at kids parties. And, and for the audience, just some context, you know, every few episodes, I reveal a little more about my past. So, you know, here is a, a spoiler alert. You know, I was also a DJ for kids parties, generally through the 90s. But to be very honest, and with all respect for Gian and Paige and the Megan boys, you know, what they created along with maybe one or two other other companies that formed maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, what they created in experiential entertainment uh, in Toronto really took things to the next level and continues to today, 20 years later. So clearly my my retirement happened what just before the, the dawn of the of the new DJ. But back to the show. I, I don't want to regress too far. It's all good, man. So have you guys really thought at all about kind of the source of your how, your entrepreneurialism, your spirit, and, and your drive that has gone into some of the topics that we're going to talk about today, much, much beyond DJing, but you know, where does that come from? It's a great question. Um, to be honest with you, we have not looked back uh, on this journey. Uh, we had not looked back on this journey uh at all ever um and i ironically uh this is the second podcast my brother and i have ever done uh together and uh you know the first podcast was about uh six months ago in which uh we were guests on a podcast is an entrepreneur business kind of uh podcast and a lot of questions had to do with you know the origins of the company and and, and our and ourselves and our story and it was that day literally six months ago you know just before pandemic uh however long ago that was that when we left the the studio that we were doing the podcast and we looked at each other and we we're like isn't it weird that like we've never talked about any of this stuff like literally like these like pivotal moments that kind of really 
made us up and uh, helps kind of give a picture as to uh, how we became these, you know, characters, these, these figures, these, these business people, these event hosts, you know, these performers. Um, and where, like, how did that come to be? And like, literally it was, you know, this podcast and I got to give a shout out to his name is Greg Witz. Greg felt that we had a compelling enough story. And, and I didn't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that my story isn't compelling, but you know, I'm also going to sit here and say like, yeah, man, my story is worth writing a book about it, you know, cause I just never had the time to think about it. But when he started, you know, saying these things, it was a very organic, almost out of body experience. And Paige and I left and we both looked at each other on the way out. We never even planned what we were going to say. We never talked about it. We just showed up that day. We didn't even show up. We didn't speak for a minute about it. We walked in and we walked in with different cars and different, you know, we, he was on a call and I was on a call as we were walking in, we turned off the phone, sat down and just started talking. And, and on the way out, we said, you know, like, this is just so eerie. And, you know, and it really, you know, the next few weeks after, you know, the question of how does one become a Megan boy, right? How does one come, you know, from becoming, you know, uh, kids of an immigrant parents, um, you know, barely speaking any English, learning disabilities, uh, huge, huge uh, setbacks in life, and then all of a sudden become, you know, 25,000 uh, events later, right? How, how does that happen? Um, and, and this, this, this episode of this podcast really helped us kind of just like, you know, it opened our eyes and then, um, and then the pandemic hit, right? And, you know, everyone's worst nightmares, you know, unfolding in front of their own eyes. Uh, but it was this interview that kind of really grounded us uh, in this in this pandemic, in this time of kind of panic and then really allowed us to kind of like just simmer down and 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 like recognize what we did and how we did it and 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 the fact that we haven't stopped once to do that in 20 years um as this is our 20th year in business um as the megan boys uh is uh is something that like i'm actually kind of uh decoding as we speak and i am um, breaking down um, as a, as a as a as a person as, as a as a brother as a businessman as a as a boss as a friend, um, and uh, it's it's a remarkable it's an entire other you know uh, journey that that uh, that we are currently on and um, and we're, we're just uh, we're grateful for it. No, it's amazing to to have you describe that experience that moment to pause you know just six months ago. It's just a testament to how hard you guys have been running for for so long, and and as we kind of unpack you and your brother and your business a little bit, and this podcast is more focused on the entertainment side of what you're doing, not specifically the business side, but we'll touch on some business aspects as we go. You know, I wanted to kind of unearth that that drive that you that clearly both have. I mean, I've seen it written up in media. I mean, maybe it's. A few years ago at this point where you got some of that early coverage but it's fine still very relevant to today but also been doc it's been documented quite well in the public with with your movies which we'll talk about and the events that you've done bringing celebrities but also 
yourselves. I mean, from your from from your stag, which I read about, which was seemed unbelievably amazing. Which I why didn't I get an invite? I knew you back then. <laughs> but this this need to entertain can can we talk a little bit about where that where, where that came from? That's a it, it's a great uh, it's a great question again, and um, you know I don't know if I would have been able to answer it uh, a year ago when we were in the midst of. Uh, an average week of 30, 40, 50 events with uh, a dozen trucks hitting the road and, and, and truck drivers and laborers and setup teams and entertainers and event planners and all those things, you know, um, there was never a moment to, 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 to sit and chill. I don't even know what going on vacation, what, what going on vacation is um, without working. Right. I didn't I know the 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 highest level of um, being able to kind of be present and be um, just be you know I, I, I hate I don't want to I don't want to say that I'm not uh, a normal person but I, I didn't I didn't believe that I, I I now knowing myself now and and the and the feeling that I have today uh, I just feel that the level of overdrive exhaustion um and the speed that we were we were kind of running at um there is no way that we could have really been able to understand the things that we're understanding now um and that's just simply put because there was just too much going on and um and it was it was out of control so um now I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, you know, no, but it's um, listen, it, you 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 morphed from you know it was you, it was you, you were in the spotlight, then it was others. You still had to run a business behind the scenes. I mean, there might be some behavioral psychology we can look at now, maybe because you know Paige is a is a minute older than you. There was this competitive need to get mommy and daddy's attention a little more. I, I don't know if that's something that you guys have ever uh, duked it out about. I, I, I mean, I mean, part, part of it, if you don't mind me jumping in, is that like, we, we didn't live like this traditional life um, that everyone around us was, was what we, what we thought was living. You know, I, I'll remember when we were in grade one, two, and three, like my parents used to dress us up like we to wear like suits to go to school while every other kid was wearing sweatpants. And we were like, mom, we want a pair of sweatpants. And she'd like be like, no, you're going to school. You have to show respect. And and, and, and then when it came to like lunchtime, and Gian knows this, like we would beg to a level of begging that it's still traumatic. Our mom to, to buy us fr fr fruit fruit roll-ups and Joe Louis for lunch, right? And all because every other kid had these things and my mom granola bars, granola bars and like and our parents would make these Iranian stews and our our whole lunch, our whole classroom would smell from our like the curry and the food. And 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 we just were like, mom, we just want to have like, you know, a treat. And she would like give us like raisins. Like, you know, it's like we, we, we and so we did, we were deprived of like, you know, drinking pop and like you know having you know kit kat or whatever it was until we started figuring out how to make our own money and we were like oh my god we have to treat ourselves in a certain way because our parents ne never knew from that 
you know. No, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot. Listen, you guys, uh, it's a very different culture over here, even 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 now from when your parents moved moved to Canada, and um, it's a common story that uh, the values that that you inherit from your environment, you know, don't they they, they don't pass to the older generation, not not easily anyway. And, um, you know, when you're touching on your childhood, you know, as I was looking back in kind of the timeline of your lives, from just from what I've been able to see that's been already covered in the media, like you have this incredibly strong connection to wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, specifically, if we look at the celebrity of it, you know, the WWF, and it has been a big part of your work and kind of the legend and even folklore uh, that, that you guys have been able to create around your aura. So... Let's get into that love affair with wrestling and the squared circle and, and where that actually came from and maybe at what time in, in your lives that that came to be. Well, and I'll let Gian speak on that, but it's interesting because um, the you asked about the entertainment and you asked us about, you know, the, our, our love for performance and this and that. I mean, the early seedlings, which I think you, you can share, is what kind of uh, we didn't realize um, had a major impact and influence on our lives. And I, I, I'll leave it to G to kind of to speak on that and elaborate. So, so here we are five, uh, five six years old, uh, you know, um, immigrant kids, uh, again, parents dressing us funny, you know, uh, going to school with like a lunchbox of, of, uh, of rice. And, and, you know, I always say that like, when I open my lunchbox, there'd be two things flying out, rice and a bird. Because that's literally what, how my mom would would roll, uh, and so we, you know, we 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 were kind of shunned from 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 you know from a lot of the the things that kids were were into, and and because only because our parents didn't know anything about you know day camps and 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 activities, and it was just if very foreign, but. Um, when we were five five years old or six years old, we were we were sitting in front of the TV, and our our nanny uh, was watching wrestling. And um, out of nowhere, my mother came from the other room, you know, yelling and screaming, "Who's saying all those bad words in in Farsi?" And we didn't even understand what was going on because we weren't really paying attention to the TV. We were we were playing with our cars or our trucks, and. My mom ran into the room and, and and literally we heard this huge bang and she dropped the pot in her hand and I screamed, you know, that's your dad's friend. That's your daddy's best friend. And we're like, huh, what, who? It's And, and it's not like, you know, when you're watching, uh, maybe, you know, you can see someone on the news today. Like, hey, I saw you on CP24 at the Leaf game. Like, you know, it's not as big a deal as it once was. Well, back then, w- what do you mean? this person is, who's on TV is your dad's best friend, right? That, you know, as an immigrant, this is now like, it's, it's, a, it's a hard, it's even hard to believe, you know, yourself. And so, and so as the story goes, the man on TV, you know, using all the bad words in Iranian and, and Farsi uh, was none other than the wrestling villain, the Iron Sheik. And um, lo and behold, the Iron Sheik, Mr. Khosrow Vaziri uh, was, my father, Bijan, uh, his best friend growing up in Iran in the, in the 50s and 60s. And they grew up together because our father was the Iranian ping pong Olympic champion. And he represented uh, Iran and, and 
the Sheik represented Iran in Greco-Roman wrestling, and they would all train in the same facility. And, um, you know, and so this is the story we're being told. And next thing you know, that they're promoting a show at the gardens. And uh, my dad gets in, gets in touch somehow. We just hear loud screaming and, and you know, and just excitement and basically says, okay, we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to go and, and see and reconnect with my old friend. He somehow got a hold of the Sheik. And, and so from that moment on for the next five, six years, you know, wrestling had an enormous impact on us because um, it was everything to us. We would literally do well in school. We would do chores. We would rake the leaves. We would plow the driveway. We would do whatever we had to do because every three, four months when, when the WWF rolled to town, the Iron Sheik, we would go pick him up and Nikolai Volkov or Jim the Anvil Nightheart or Jake the Snake or whoever it was, we'd pick them up from the airport. We'd go to the Holiday Inn by the airport. We'd get autographs. We'd then take whoever can fit into the car to the shows. We'd go in through the back where, where all the fans were waiting. And we'd go in and we would have people swear at us and throw sh- shit at us and, um, and, and threaten to kill the Sheik. And this is all happening to these two immigrant kids who don't even realize it's a show don't realize that this is all a work and it's a it's a it's a performance um and this is all happening very fast and that so so the 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 exposure right there you know when i think about when i hear with on say these things i can remember my heart pounding and being so you know the the the, the, the getting a real first uh real taste of dopamine you know and like euphoric euphoric energy of holy cow we're at this place we're backstage we're feeling this showmanship we understand that there's an on on button off button or at least we're exposed to it so that our brains are now seeing a a, a kind of a a fifth wall breakdown so to speak or a fourth wall breakdown whatever they say um and it's quite uh, overwhelming and fascinating no, guys, I mean, I, I get it totally. I'm a few years older than you. And so I, I was going through that same thing at the old Maple Leaf Gardens a few years before you. And whether it was, uh, you know, King Kong Bundy or Kumala and steel cage matches. I mean, if you look at kind of the sports scene in Toronto at the time, the Blue Jays, well, for you guys, they might have been close to being a real competitive team. But for me, they hadn't quite gotten there yet. The Leafs just stunk. And then there was this wrestling thing that would come. And like you said, every three or four months, I always recall it was on a weekend, probably a Sunday night. I would go with my dad, my cousins. And for you guys to not be, you know, in the stands as spectators the way I was, but to be kind of in the middle of this and know these guys and personalities, if you compare that to the likes of what we see today, just on the Toronto sports scene from, you know, Leafs or Raptors, you know, in particular, where they are more approachable, to the fans we do get a sense of personality from them i mean you guys had some of the, the the best experiences imaginable at that time because outside of maybe maybe a wendell clark or a felix potman no one not wanted to go you know near that leaf team that the way that wrestling had uh, filled our void of entertainment and sports in toronto for sure man um you know like we were inhaling like metaphorical secondhand wwf smoke right for years and it, it, it would the experiences like i still you know have a hard time processing it like 
being backstage, sitting on Andre the Giant's lap, right? Well, I, I remember, I remember uh, we got a, we, we, we were we were chosen by the security, which we now realize we, we were we were selected because of the Sheik to to come into the ring with a bunch of other kids to sit on the junkyard dog as he ran around the ring, and we were we were on the we were in the ring in front of twenty thousand people, or um, you know. I remember we were backstage and King Kong Bundy yelled at us and we were so scared that we were crying. And then the Sheik had to speak to King Kong Bundy in front of us to make, to make him apologize because we were with the Sheik. It was like, you know, like, this is the scariest guy in the world at this point. And, and there was the whole, you know, the good guy, the bad guy, you know, that, you know, the Sheik being the most hated guy. Like, you know, we didn't really comprehend this because he was our hero and, um, you know, a, a very iconic story it was that you know when when Nikolai and the Sheik came out they'd ask everyone to you know to please rise for the singing of the uh, the national anthem well you know we would stand there with pride right there was the one time they did it where they said they want to sing the the Iranian national anthem not the Russian national anthem yes, so yes. And, and so yes, yes so yes. at the time you know I looked at my dad we were so excited and so proud and we we stood up my dad stood up and put his, his hand in salute like we were so proud of it and then all of a sudden twenty thousand people are all staring at us being and yelling and throwing garbage at the ring and we're like mom dad like what are we supposed to do this is our country this is your country and we bought in and we were so kind of um exposed to this level of hatred for a culture right we didn't even know and forget the culture, you know, you take the whole Iran-Contra uh, crisis and what was happening in real time in the world, you know, and here we are now kind of finally having our kind of moment to be, I guess you can call Canadianized or, you know, be able to like fit in with the crowd. But then it's it's with a catch, right? It's with like a crutch with it, it, this Iranian thing, you know. So, so when we did try and, and, and show off or perk up to friends in the schoolyard about like our wrestling dolls and our pictures with our rest, with the wrestlers that came over last night, you know, and they, they all, you know, started to like, you know, we, we weren't accepted still because we were Iranian and we would be, we would be called, you know, terrorists. We'd be called, we were called terrorists. Um, all the time. All the time. Like, well, that's a that's a story I didn't know we were going to get into today, but it's uh, so many parallels to what you guys are describing, and you know so many things that we unfortunately are hopefully dealing with today and surfacing things like this, so the the public sees it. The um, getting back to to the Sheik in particular, uh, and uh, and you guys. So from from what I gathered, you're very close to the Sheik for very for very good reasons. And, you know, you, you go on, you're teenagers, you, you form the Megan boys and, and you become really these great sensations in and around town with parties. And then somehow you get into, we'll call it representation. We can call it, um, you know, social media management. I'll let you guys put the words around it. But how did that come to fruition where you, you basically became the Sheik's uh, persona in retirement? Well, well, I mean... There's a, it's probably a longer story, but just to get to it, you know, at the time we started promoting uh, wrestling shows around 18, 19 years old and fairly quickly, um, you know, we realized that everyone was trying to rip, rip us off. 
and everyone was trying to take us for a ride. We were these two 18, 19 year olds. I had no business producing wrestling shows all over Canada, by the way, at 20 years old, you know, um, and um, we kept finding ourselves getting hustled and taken advantage of or lied to or, you know, um, what's the word? Like we once had a wrestler, you know, tell us we gave him 500, we, we, we paid him 500 bucks. And right before he got, went into the ring, he said someone stole his 500 bucks and he asked us for another 500. We had to go to the bank machine so he can get into the ring. And I, literally we gave him the money as we were running from the ATM. And then he went into, went out of the curtain, went into, into the ring. A year later, the guy gets signed to WWE, and his first angle was that he stole someone's wallet backstage, and that's how he was introduced. Like, so we were living this life where these people were taking advantage of us, and then we're seeing it happen on television. We were like, oh my God, we totally got taken advantage of. And so through all that, the, the one guy that stood by us and helped us and smartened us up and legitimized us and made us kind of... Um, you know, uh, gave us street cred was the Iron Sheik because we would go around and use his name and tell people King Kong Bundy, where the Sheik's our uncle or Hacksaw. So, and, and anytime that someone was going to call, they because the word goes around as promoters, if these guys are stand up guys or or they're criminals, you know, the Sheik would always give us the 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 the, the, the glowing approval. So, as we were doing that we would see the Iron Sheik and we would see that he was getting taken advantage of from all these snaky promoters. And every time we heard that he was here or someone was doing this with him or that with him, and we're like, no, no, we could totally take care of him because we were booking out talent for our entertainment company. And it, it was, was an honor, honor right? Like, this yeah, was like, like, like a- to be like our childhood hero and see him being taken advantage of, we we're like, well, this is the Iron Sheik. He's supposed to be untouchable, but here are all these kind of snakes and like, you know, car- carny promoters that are r- ripping them off. So we started being like, no, you got to go through us. And, you know, we weren't doing it to make money. We were just doing it to to be the, the filter because his English was broken and he wasn't necessarily an organized guy. And we felt like we understood what the ask was. And through that, we started building this kind of um, pipeline to manage opportunity. So, um as that was progressing, we so was, you know, the 21st century, the internet and social media and, you know, all the things that kind of come with, uh, you know, a digital life. And, um, you know, being at that ripe age, you know, where like Facebook just started and MSN and ICQ and like MySpace and, uh, you know, all those things. We, we grew, at, at, you know, we weren't 70 years old when MySpace came out. We were 22. So we we were... You know, we were aware enough to turn it into, um, you know, to ride to ride the waves, you know. Um, and so through that, we realized that the Sheik was a great character and he had this new resurgence because of uh, his loud, outlandish talk. And so we put out some footage of him um, when uh, there was a big, uh, you remember this when Michael Richards, Kramer from, um, from Seinfeld, was was caught saying some derogatory stuff about uh, the drop the end the end bomb if you remember um, at a comedy club. Well, we told Sheik what happened, and and he was so angry, uh, and he was so offended that he did it that he was like, "I'm gonna kill him! I'm gonna beat the shit out of him!" I'm gonna... And I'm like, Sheik, can we put this on camera? So we put it on camera, and we put it on 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 live on YouTube, 
And within like two days, it got like a million hits and Howard Stern picked it up. Um, and so when Howard picked it up, I, my phone was blowing up. People were calling me saying, Sheik's on Howard, Sheik's on Howard. And through that, we ended up landing uh, the opportunity to get him on the show. And then, uh, then at that point, it became like this viral sensation. This old wrestler was now in the, in the limelight kind of, defending pop culture and uh destroying anyone that was uh you know you know doing the wrong thing and and over time and there's a longer process to it but he became uh he became a a, an info uh, this bad guy ended up we ended up creating an image where he became the enforcer for good you know no i love it no i love it i remember some of the pranks that that were pulled and and the public ones that maybe crossed over into the into the political spectrum did you guys or the Sheik ever get into any real trouble because of those things? Oh my goodness! It's oh my god! <laughs> Wrong question. So, <laughs> so it's it, it's it, it's funny. Here's one story, and I couldn't believe it. So um, I became friends with the manager of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He was such a wrestling fan, and he invited me to the show. And through the years, um, oh my god, I'm drawing a blank. The drummer who looks like Will Ferrell. Oh my god, I'm drawing a blank. But him. And Flea loved the Sheik. They would follow the Sheik. They would be, and that's me being the ghostwriter for it. So he, they'd always be talking about it, and they'd always be like, you know, retweeting and all that. Anyways, uh, the 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 um, Chili Peppers came to town, and um, the manager uh, invited me to the show, um, and and we got backstage passes and tickets, and, and it was it was just with being a friend of mine. Um, and so I'm backstage with Flea and oh Chad Chad Smith, uh, Chad Smith. Anyway, and we're and we're, and and the, his, their manager comes and introduces me to them. So before this, before the, the 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 concert, for the past year before that, they both unfollowed me, and I was actually upset. Why do they unfollow me? What did I say? What did I do? Do they not like what we we're doing? Is there something wrong with it? What you know, uh, the unfollow is now got got an energy to it. You know. You unfollow someone means we're not friends, you know. Um, and so when we got backstage and we started chatting, and I was introduced, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're the funniest account! It's the best account! We love the account." Um, but I, I go, so you know, I'm like, "You guys unfollowed it about a year and a half ago, you know? Why did you do that?" And they're like, "Oh my god! And now I can't believe you just reminded me." He goes, "They had to unfollow the Iron Sheik." which was my, my, my creation on Twitter because they got invited to the white house, uh, to meet Obama. And because when you go to the white house, they do a social back profile background check on you. <laughs> and because of my language and the derogatory and what the iron Sheik has said on Twitter, they weren't allowed in the white house unless they unfollowed him going into the White House. I mean, that's to me as political as it gets, right? Like, like so, someone being not allowed to get into the president's, you know, house because of what I'm creating. I, I felt like, you know, wow, that's like, that talk about impact. No, that's an amazing story to share. I, I never do about that. It's great that you're surfacing that here. I mean, that's what we're looking for out of out of these interviews is to find these stories that you know, i'm sure you've shared it before but but now we have it documented for you know spotify and all the rest of the platforms to listen to 
the, but the chic the chic persona i mean really really developed over time and you eventually got into not just the chic others as well you you got into producing movies and, and you made this huge leap from what i would from this live always on entertainment uh platform to now the big screen and where 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 did that idea come from well you know uh, one one important you know kind of through line that i want to kind of you know bring up here is is that is that the 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 relationship um you know and the treasuring of our relationships and um and the access that those relationships have granted us whether it is with the iron sheik or with people we've met through the years uh has always been a, a good underlining kind of you know kind of anchor for us and um you know the relationship you know was built on trust and integrity and those are very important to us still today you know if, if we don't uh have that gut feeling on on a situation or a, a certain person or a deal it's um it's usually because our gut is is is, is what's led us to you know a, a giant com you know portion of our success and so uh, so the relationship we had with the Sheik was was so pure and honest that it was it was really all about you know preserving our childhood hero's kind of legacy and his life because you know this man was like the Shah of Iran's bodyguard. This man was a a a Olympic you know Olympic champion. He was a he was the running mate of this other uh champion from iran uh and it's a whole other story but his best friend his brother was the uh, four or five time olympic gold medalist from iran in, in wrestling his name was golem reza tahti and uh, there's a whole conspiracy um if you don't and if you if you don't know uh tahti he's like the elvis presley the michael jordan muhammad ali of iran okay he won five gold medals he was he was handsome and Remember, Iran in the 60s and 70s, in the 50s and the 40s, like it was a beautiful place. It was not, um, and it still is a beautiful place. But I'm saying that it was, it was kind of like um, a, a vacationing place. It was like going to Europe. It was like, you know, it was, and so this, so there was a, there was a golden era there, and this, and this man Tahti uh, uh, was the gold medal. And so, you know, to understand that the sheik. You know, again, sat in the cockpit for some very big moments, um, and then to like leave, uh, leave Iran, and because so Totakti was murdered. This guy was murdered because after his career, he became a little bit more political, and he he was outspoken. And some say it was murder, some say it was suicide. It's a whole thing. But like, the, the, you know, there was no reason for this man to kill himself, and. It's it's a very rich story, but I knew about this stuff because I heard it my whole life, and I would hear him. You know, I, I still hear him when we're five, six years old, and you know, this is after the gardens. Now they'd come to our house for dinner. All the bad guy wrestlers, Big John Stud and Luscious Johnny Valiant, and you know, and we would sit there, and you know, and and he would always talk about the cold beer, and he would always love my mom's food and, and but they would spend hours there and we would just be there and we'd be like in mesmerized and you know his voice was so loud and he would tell these stories with such conviction and 
these are all stories that stayed stayed with us. And so, uh, sorry to go on a rant there, but it's it's just that like, you know, we felt that hey, you know, why wouldn't we, you know, document this, right? Why wouldn't we get a camera to tell these stories, preserve them for for future generations? And if, if not us, who's going to do that? And so, we just started to bring a camera wherever he was around. And then we decided, okay, let's go to Atlanta and let's film him there at his home. The, the irony to that is, is that when we get to Atlanta, you know, um, we then get to see an entire side of the Sheik that we didn't even know, you know, we didn't know about. We, didn't, we never really met his, his wife. There was no FaceTime and there was no, you know, they never came here, you know. Um, remember, he, remember, remember, he's a father that takes his kids to school. And like, there's all these things that come with like, you know, living a life with a, as a celebrity father, not, let alone the most hated man and most, you know, uh, notoriously bad guy, you know, uh, you know, persona is now like there's a normalcy to him, right? That we're, and that normalcy wasn't necessarily, you know, um, so, you know, roses and, you know, they're beautiful family. They're amazing people. We love them dearly, but you know, the Sheik was going through, you know, the life of a former superstar and the fall from grace was not uh, so, so healthy. No, no, listen, guys, I, I get it. It's a, uh, it's admirable what, what you were able to pick up on, you know, as the opportunity was there to tell a story. Is that, is that something that you still look to do today? To, I know it's been a while, but to create, you know, more, more big screen entertainment. Yeah. You know, we're actually, um, in the midst of, uh, creating a, a, a fund and which will uh, help contribute to a slate of, of films that we we have uh, and concepts that we've developed. All right, great. I'm looking forward to seeing more, more of that as it, as it plays out. It, it's so clear. You guys have so many skills from such a young age. You, know, you, you talked about the uniqueness of your upbringing. You've mentioned, you know, some situations which are, you know, unfortunate, but, you know, very common on, with North America and how when newcomers come here and how they're accepted, even even to this day. But all of that aside, you've been able to build like this amazing reputation of experiential entertainment. And and now that we're you know in this COVID pandemic and it's impacting a lot of you know, has occupied you up until six months ago, your, your time, your hopes, your, your aspirations. As you're talking to clients about the the future of you know experiential entertainment, how do you see you know your business evolving uh, to be able to you know meet the needs that people are still going to have to be entertained and and what formats that might look like? You know, it's um, it's a different world that we're in now, and the faster uh, anyone recognizes that um, in its purest form the faster you know the world will kind of become what the, this new normal is um you know I, I kind of i kind of break it down like this you know we will we will all we all have this need to to feel and to enjoy and to be stimulated um and so that will never go away you know it, it but the approach to it is going to be different and I, I break it down like this you know and i'm going to put you on the spot but i already know the answer in your life you've been to countless functions banquets uh, conferences and you've seen the guy come with the tray with the hors d'oeuvres correct absolutely now 
I can say without even knowing for a fact that at least 15 to 50 times, at least, Mark Silver, when going to grab the spring roll, by accident, touched the spring roll beside it. Okay? It's happened. It happens. It's ha- no, it's happened. And that's never going to happen again, right? And, 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 and that's just a part of like an old an old dated model now that the world is, you know, going to need, um, you know, distances, um, and, and no more touching, uh, the buffet and maybe dancing is going to take a back seat. Um, and it's going to be more, you know, of a show or whatever. And so I think people are, are always going to have the need to be entertained. Um, I personally, as much as I want you know, to be uh, in, in a room and participating in, 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 in fun stuff. I, I don't believe that as a collective society, uh, we are anywhere near that right now. And again, I, 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 I don't want this. I, I, I'm just st- stating my feeling on the subject. And I, I don't see... Um, the life that we knew and, and, and that that means things like concerts or weddings or tweet 16s or bar mitzvahs or whatever you know I see them um, I see them being broken down to its purest form what was the point of the wedding what was the point of the bar mitzvah well it was it's really you know it's the I do now that matters more than the the dress or the flowers or you know spending exuberant amounts of money on things that, um, you know, bring waste, um, or are just excessive. You know, I think it's the excessiveness of society as, as a whole that has contributed to where we are at. And, 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 and as much as it pains me to say this, um, the events world had a lot to do with, with that for its own, world right you know listen these are big things for you to say you guys have built a career a business a, a foundation on providing that you know excess different than what we had in the 90s when i when i was kind of uh, in the dj business so these are big things i mean i i have no doubt that you guys will be able to reinvent yourselves i know you're working on plans already you've mentioned a little bit here today and so thanks for being honest. That's It's hard uh, when we're in the middle of something and we don't know how the future looks, but I appreciate you taking a, taking a stab at it because it, it needs to be said that um, there is a drastic change that's going to happen. So before we kind of close, and this might be a hard one, I'll start with, so it's about your most memorable career moment. And I can tell you my most memorable moment in your careers uh, where you showed up on stage at a family wedding, you brought a... Um, a music entertainer, I think it was Gavin DeGrop on stage at my my cousin my cousin's uh, daughter's wedding, and that was a that was a hoot. But that was for me my most memorable part of your career. But why don't you tell all of us the most memorable part of your career? Well, that was for, 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 that was a great that was actually awesome, and I didn't know that you were in that room. Um, that was a very great little thing that happened organically um with that with the beautiful people so that was awesome uh Gilles, go ahead you can start i know you're gonna do that to me Paige. i knew that I, I you know mark it's um it's hard to pinpoint down a singular moment that uh can 
can be identified as the moment um, when, you know, that's what we do for a living. We create moments. Yeah. We don't just show, we don't just show up and we don't just, you know, we don't just bake a pizza, you know, and, 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 and pop it in and pop it out. It, it's, it's, it's such a refined process. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's important that you know that. Um, and, 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 and we, whether, whether good or bad, you know, we've, we've led with our hearts and we've led, um, with, with just like the, the idea of always doing good. And so if I did have to kind of say, you know, you know, what are some, what, what are some of those big, you know, big pivotal moments, you know, it, it, it goes to the philanthropy uh, side of things, the, the ability to be able to, to give back and, and help and, and mentor and, you know, and just, and just be a positive uh, force for people who may not have had that upbringing, you know, and, and again, like the, when you're in it, when you're as a kid and you, you know, you're only given, you know, 25 cents on a Friday night when you're in grade nine, you know, to, to go and hang out with your friends. Like, you know, at the time that's probably like, it's like, you know, you, there's no way you, you have the ability or skills to, you know, say that there's anything good with this when, when everyone else has a green 20. Right. And, and, but now I can say like, that was the, the best gift we ever were given. It was this, you know, this, this hardcore kind of like basic kind of necessity kind of, you know, mentality. Um, and, you know, our parents kind of always said, you know, you have to help others and you have to, you know, always do good. And so like, to be honest with you, it's, you know, I'm not looking for a pat on the back of this, but like, we've never said no to a fundraiser in our lives. You know, um, it's just something that we'll always, you know, try and find a way to help out. And so, for me, Gian speaking, um, my big moment was was uh, was the first time I ever got uh, one of two times in my life out of tens of thousands, uh, we got canned from an event, and it was done in such a shady, horrific way. Like you know, it was it was so uncool. Um, you know, you know, three months before a party that was booked for years, and uh, we we all of a sudden got bumped and. And um, the way that it happened was was shady, and the person that they hired, what they did was shady, and it was totally unethical, um, and, and it was devastating to us. And, and I got bumped from this event. And about six weeks later, uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine called me who runs a teen travel camp, and he said, "Hey, dude, what are you doing on between this day and that day?" And I looked at my calendar, and I'm like, "Well, I'm I'm booked on the on the that day, but." But from that day forward, I'm actually free because I was doing so-and-so's party, but they just canned me. What's up? He's like, well, uh, I'm, I'm doing this uh, trip to Tanzania, and I'm uh, in need of an extra like body to come, and you can get a free trip out of it. You just got to you know, help uh, help and, and come for the ride. And I'm like, perfect. So I, I never got a chance to travel you know, uh, at this point. Like I was not like a the guy who went backpacking, you know, across the world, you know, when we were in university, we, we paid our dues, right? We were working, we were doing three jobs at age 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Right. And so, um, ultimately that trip changed my life in the sense that like, you know, uh, 
I was really, you know, taken back, you know, all the things you see on the, you know, life vision infomercials of the kids in Africa, you know, like, you know, to see that firsthand was quite impactful for me. And, um, and, you know, fast forward to today, that trip ended up being the uh, incubator nucleus for us to build our own um, component of, a, of an orphanage in Tanzania. Uh, you know, we've raised, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's hundreds of kids who are um, able to uh, get off the streets and, and get the education and healthcare um, that they, that they didn't have because of this. And for me, that's um, something that at the end of the day, I, I can actually tangibly say um, it, it, it is one of my, you know, the proof in, in my pudding, I guess. No, that's an amazing, amazing story. And um, unbelievable that, you know, all these years later, uh, you're following through and going full, full circle on, uh, on what initially was not the greatest circumstances. So, so Paige, is that, is that going to cover it off for both you guys? Or uh, do, you, do you have something else to put in the mix? I, I mean, what what resonated with me? Um, I mean, I didn't go to Africa. I didn't do that. He wasn't invited. Um, you didn't get to do that one. Okay. No, I wasn't invited. Um, but what resonated to me was this um, this yearning of pleasing and doing good for people and knowing um, how much of an impact um, we have, whether it's short term or long term, on people through being a part of the best day of people's lives um you know um there's a you know a beautiful energy to knowing that we can handle ourselves and be responsible for and uh and um deeply connect care and um you know put forth effort uh to help people achieve those feelings um and now that we've been doing that for 20 plus years, 25 years or whatnot, um, what's coming back to us now was something that we never had a roadmap for, which was, you know, that that 10-year-old that's now 27, that just graduated Harvard, you know, he graduates and he calls me, you know, as this first person out of school. Or, um, you know, the person who's 28 uh, and we did his, his, his little brother's bar mitzvah you know eight years ago um is now 28 and he's getting married and they're calling us um and we're being brought opportunities from people that we've had such a history with uh and and because of the good feelings we've put forth um it's not like just some random guy that we haven't spoken to in 15 years there is a real connect connecting uh you know touch point that allows us to take to go back to where we started, which was in a great place, and now continue that and do meaningful things uh, because of the point of entry is so special. Um, and as entrepreneurs, you know what we learn is that, like you know, if, if, you know, you've got a bad reputation or you've done something wrong to someone, it's really hard to kind of recover and fix those things. And so when we go and, and live and breathe doing good. Um, thanks to our parents and the way we were kind of not necessarily given all of the the chattels other than, you know, bare necessities, do good, be respectful, be nice, and to kind of hone in on those three specific muscles. Um, you know, we're at a, I like the word, 
a plethora of, of, of situations that only come from doing good. Um, and so now that... But, 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 but just quickly, I want to just jump in for a second. Like, and by no means were we angels, Mark. Um, you know, we, we had... Oh, no, I had no doubt. You, you, don't, you don't get to uh, the public persona of the chic uh, with, with being uh, the brown nosers. Yeah, you know, there was there was a lot of turbulence. Um, there was a lot of, um, you know, the, the, we had to build the stability. You know, I, I I I literally compare it to us holding a 500 pound dumbbell over our hand. You, you don't just lift it up and and you're good. You know, you're you you you've you've shaked it, you've dropped it, you dropped it on your foot, you had to recover. Like we are coming through uh, quite a interesting road that like you know i i don't want to make it seem like you know that everything was was peachy it, it was not and, and it was it was because of the hardships and and the reactions to those hardships and not having the actual tools to to, to or even know even knowing how to identify what tools to use um it is something that is as kind of been eye-opening for us and um and it's it's just something that I, I wanted to point out because it, it, it was, um, you know, our parents were, were always the nice ones. You know, it was us who kind of had to just, you know, figure it out. Uh, it sounds like from everything that, that you've spoken about here today, I mean, you have such incredible grounding, although I can completely sympathize. It may, at the time, it was unbelievably frustrating, especially trying to fit in new culture new country and all of that and and the pressures of the community which i know we were we're in the same community so i i get some of those some of those challenges but along the way and i'll go back to the the experiential nature of your lives where you you've been leaving these indelible marks on people for for decades for like 30 years i mean if we can kind of summarize the time uh, even if if we go back to you being in the ring and having those unique experiences literally as children um, and some of what you just described that really answers one of our other questions, which is about, you know, what do you wish you you knew back at the beginning of your career of your career that you know now? But I think you've already done a fabulous job of describing that. So I'll leave you with one kind of final question, which so for people who are looking to get into the experiential space, the representation space, because you guys are very clearly in that as well. You know, what kind of advice do you have for, for people who are, uh, let's say, in their early 20s, mid 20s, who are are looking to to follow in your footsteps uh you know like 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 it may sound cliche but be a nice guy be an honest guy be a good person do good for people you know and you know hard work isn't going to kill you you know and in order for you to do good you gotta you gotta you gotta be all in you gotta put put forth you know you know you got to you got to live and breathe. You know anything? I don't care if it's Michael Jordan or you know the guy baking a pastry. You know um, you got to put it. You got to put it in. And you can and, and you not may not be able to see the difference, but you can feel. You can feel the, the, the cliche. Difference. The cliches are are what we live and die by. You know, um, there's no point. Um, you know, rewriting the the script here. You know, uh, it's you get what you put in. You know, you play with fire, you potentially can get burned. Um, you know, these are these are things that, uh, you know, won't ever change. Save your money for a rainy day. Um, 
And so those are the things that we were drilled into our head, right? And um, and because that's all that they could really, our parents could really share with us. And so, you know, um, everything you, everyone's heard. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Like I said, it, you know, it's a marathon, not, not a race. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I like the the Swiss Army knife mentality. Um, you know, where you know, you know, try and have a, a, a gain a little bit of every of of of, of a few skills. Um, and then anything that, that you don't have, uh, you know, a, a skill set for, you know, work with people that, that do, um, so that you're covered and having a twin, um, having a partner, uh, by hook or by crook for life, um, has, has ultimately given us the ability to, to, to recognize that, you know, work with your strengths and, and Paige and I are again in the middle of this entire pandemic now you know, restructuring, uh, ripping out the foundation, re re applying it. And now we have the metaphorical architect coming in to kind of, you know, help us with the vision for the next five, 10 years. Um, and you know, it's all because of our awareness, uh, of, of, of playing to our strengths and, and, and working with people whose strengths are our weaknesses. Um, all while having the trust factor and you know the, the check marks on the things that you know might give some people doubt you know and um you know and, and, and loving what you do right like there's not a day in my life that i wake up and i and i and i say like i'm not grateful for for for, for what i have and for for the path that we've been granted and um no, it's been well said by both you guys. You know, thanks for for opening up and and giving us the, you know, stories from from the heart. Uh, the the way you're describing, you know, your perspectives. Some of those are very similar to many of the guests that we've had on the, the Backstage Project podcast. That's one of the unique things that we're able to do is talk to amazing people like yourselves. I will say that you guys are our first guests that are, you know, entrepreneurial to the core where you're taking risks from a young age and I'd love to call them calculated risks, but I'm, I'm not going to give you that much credit because I think that's just in your nature to take these risks. You're not as calculated as someone who perhaps is in a corporate job would be because you're not as worried about the downside. One, you have each other and two, you have this confidence in yourselves based on all the values that you've described for us today that you will find the right path. And if you need help, you'll get the right help. And that's really amazing to hear. I can't thank you guys enough for joining uh, me today to have this conversation. And I wish you both all the best. I'll be following the trials and tribulations of the evolution of your business. Uh, and I can't believe there are seven children between the two of you that you guys have fathered. That's another scary thing that we didn't really get into. But um, good luck with that as well. And thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having us and and, uh, and feeling that our... Uh our story was worth uh, sharing. Really appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.